grateful that we can have time like this to worship together, to reflect on, on the power of that, that blood that we just sang about, and the, the blood of Jesus that, that we just remembered, that we even celebrated, because what was bad news, Jesus came to earth, and we nailed him to a cross, and he bled and he died. What was once bad news has now become the best news of all because of the power of that blood and the story that we now rehearse and give thanks for the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we're here on Sunday morning, right? (laughs) That's why we're here on the Lord's Day to give thanks for that powerful, life-giving story. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here today as we as we wrap up this series, as Joe mentioned a few moments ago, for the last several weeks now, been thinking about what it means for us to live the baptized life. And I just want to, to share with you some of the key themes and some of the things that we've been talking about here, just to remind you of where we've been one last time before we close the chapter on this, this particular series. As we said from the get-go, our, our goal in all of this was to just um, try and immerse ourselves in the Word of God so that we would walk away with a better understanding, a deeper understanding, maybe even a renewed understanding of what it means to be immersed into Christ. And so for the last several weeks, we've been focused on a few of these kind of key themes that we found in the Scriptures. The first week, we, we said this from Acts chapter 8, that baptism is a joyful encounter with the good news. It is a joyful experience. And I want to remind us of that one last time. When we think about baptism, we should think of good news because it is a joyful encounter with that gospel story of Jesus Christ. We looked at the Exodus passage uh, in in Exodus 14, and we we looked also at Acts chapter 2 the next week. We said when you go through the water in the scriptures, when you go through the water, everything changes just as everything changed for Israel. When she passed through the waters of the Red Sea when they were parted, so too for us, as we go through the waters of baptism, everything changes. That is a transformative moment. It is a joyful moment, yes, but it is a moment where where everything changes for us. Then in the third week, we said that in baptism, the story of Jesus becomes our story, or to make it even more personal, the, the, the story of Jesus becomes your story, becomes my story story it is identifying with that story that death and that burial and that resurrection but not just identifying with that that story it is active participation in the story of jesus because as we noted in baptism there is this physical death a going down under and a burial and a raising all of that has power as it connects to the story of jesus Then we noticed that a a different kind of life requires a different kind of birth. And we looked at John 3 and the conversation Jesus has with a Pharisee named Nicodemus who who struggled, maybe like like we do sometimes, to understand the, the spiritual nature of what Jesus is getting at in his teaching. And so Nicodemus says, I I don't understand this. And Jesus helps him to see that the birth that Jesus speaks of is a, a rebirth. A birth of both water and spirit. And those two come together in such a powerful way in the imagery and and in in the act of baptism. 
And then last week we said that the baptized life is about putting on Christ, being clothed in Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to live this baptized life. As, as Rodney said, it's, it's this one-time event that we look back to over and over as we seek to live out the baptized life. And now today, I'd like for us to close out this series with one final theme, one final idea, and it's, and it's really simple. <laughs> that baptism is immersion into the saving work of Jesus. That it is being fully immersed into the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from, from all unrighteousness, that cleanses us from our sin. It is a, a cleansing and a washing because of its association, again, with the story of Jesus. And there are so many places we could go to look at this. There are so many passages that talk about baptism. I mean, at some point, we just have to say, all right, th this is what we're going to go with. So, so although we could go to so many places in the New Testament to talk about that, today, I'd like for us to look at one passage in particular as we begin. And it comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles there to 1 Peter 3, you can do that. I, I hope that you have a copy of the scriptures there either uh, that you brought or, or maybe one on a device that you have. If not, look in the pew right there in front of you, and you'll probably find a copy of the scriptures as well. Turn there to 1 Peter 3. We'll have this scripture on the screen in a minute, but you'll need it to look at this because this is a really rich, really fascinating passage of scripture. While you're getting there, uh, just a little bit of context here. Simon, Simon Peter, a little context. Simon Peter was, was one of the closest followers of Jesus in his time here on earth. Uh, he was one of the disciples. He follows Jesus. Uh, when, when Jesus asked his followers to let him know, okay, what, what do you think? What's your perception of, of who I am? It was Simon Peter who stepped forward and said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Simon Peter seems to just jump off the pages of the scriptures as a, a natural born leader. And that's important because after the ascension of Jesus, the early church would look to Simon Peter to be a key figure, to be a leader in that movement. And so by the time we, we come to this text in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, this is some 30 years after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and so Simon Peter has, has this, this wisdom, this perspective as an apostle, and he's writing to these early believers to encourage them, among other things, to bear up under the persecution that is coming but i want you to see what he says here in particular at first peter chapter 3 starting in verse 18 this is the teaching that simon peter gives for christ died once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to god he was put to death in the body but made alive by the spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Simon Peter teaches here in a really, in a really powerful way because he, he begins by going back and recounting and retelling the story of Jesus. And, and he does so in a way that is, of course, consistent with what we find elsewhere in the New Testament. So, for instance, when he says that Christ's death was once and for all, again, we're, we're looking not just to baptism as this one-time event that's lived out over and over, but we look to the death of Jesus, the scriptures say that was a one-time event. Although the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us and washes us, it in and of itself historically happened just, just the once. And you find that concept in a lot of different places in the, in the, the scriptures. Uh, Hebrews 9 and 10, uh, the Hebrew writer really camps out there in those places. Uh, in Paul's writing, Romans chapter 6, he says, For the death he died to sin once and for all. So Simon Peter begins with this idea that the death of Jesus, that was, that was once and for all. And then he drills down a little more and he says, though Jesus was righteous, he, was, he, was, he died for the unrighteous. And of course, this squares too with what we read in the scriptures. Uh, one of the places that I think is it's most clear is in Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians 5. And he says this there in verse 21, that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might partake of that righteousness so again whenever we are immersed into christ that into christ is really significant and important there because we're taking on the qualities and the characteristics of christ he becomes unrighteous so that we can participate in his righteousness he dies once for sin so that we might know eternal life and then it gets us to the last thing that, that simon peter says here as he's retelling the story it says he was crucified in the flesh but he was made alive in the spirit. Of course, other places you can go to, to pull that apart as well, but that, that's really consistent with what Paul has to say there in Romans chapter 8. And so, so then you get into this part that you, your ears might have perked up a little bit when we were, we were reading through this, or you might be looking at this passage there in Simon Peter, and you're kind of wondering, okay, how does this connect? Because after retelling the story of Jesus, then he gets, gets into this, this interesting little little passage where we, you know otherwise we wouldn't really know this but he he talks about he talks about through the holy spirit jesus went and, and did something that he he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed in the days of noah and most people read that and, and they kind of think okay uh what what is that <laughs> right when did that happen uh, what what is what is going on there and so this is one of those places where if Simon Peter didn't say this, we probably wouldn't know much about it. And we still don't know as much as we want to. So that's, that's the best answer is, I don't know, <laughs> okay? I'm not really sure what, what is, is going on there. But here's, here's the way most scholars kind of think about this. They think that what he's referring to here is, is what Jesus did in the interim between his death on the cross and his resurrection on that Sunday morning. Ever wondered what Jesus did? during that period of time well one thought is that this passage is referring to jesus going and proclaiming the victory of the cross the good news of the cross uh sort of consistent with what paul says here in colossians chapter 2 that jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities those are our spiritual forces and, and and beings okay that he disarmed them and made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them in the cross and so uh, I don't want to get too far afield here, but while we're talking about it, you, if you look at 2 Peter chapter 2, he talks about these angels who have sinned. 
And he says they are locked up in these, in these dungeons. They're locked up awaiting judgment, okay? And the popular thought is that Simon Peter is referring to those same beings who sinned. And, and based on his connection to Noah, our best guess is that he's talking about what you read about in Genesis chapter 6, just before the flood. It says that the sons of God, which is a reference to angels, okay? These angels, these angelic beings, these spirit beings, saw the daughters of man, and they sinned with them. So it's, it's a reference then to these Nephilim, these angels from old who've been locked away in these dungeons, okay? And our best guess is that that's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 5, that Jesus declares the good news of the victory of the cross in the interim between his death and his resurrection by preaching to these spirits who were chained in these dungeons, all right? Don't let that distract you from the main point. His main point is, is this, that in Jesus, the biblical story comes full circle. Because he, he's saying here that, that the victory Jesus proclaims over these angelic spirits, if they're the ones from Genesis chapter 6, it, it also gets us back into like the, the, the flood story, which all that Genesis 6 stuff kind of led to anyway. And in that flood, what you have are these floodwaters of judgment. That God sent these waters of judgment, but through those same waters, Noah and his family were delivered. All right, you got to hang here. This is kind of a complicated point Simon Peter's making, all right? But he says those waters also symbolize and represent baptism. That they symbolize and they represent salvation. These imprisoned spirits that precipitated the flood, all right, they've heard the victory of the good news of Jesus perhaps more before anybody else did. And Simon Peter says in the same way, those, those waters that brought judgment but also deliverance, the waters of baptism also bring water, uh, bring judgment but also uh, deliverance, okay? And he says there in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 verse 21 that this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also and so in the same way that those waters delivered noah and his family into a new creation they were delivered into a new world once those waters came in the same way simon peter says the waters of baptism are the means through which god brings the penitent believer into a place of spiritual safety as well when he does this and i know it's a little complicated point for us we got to go connect a lot of old testament dots to get to to that point that simon peter is making uh, but when he does this this is a classic example of type and anti-type in the scriptures so what is that well it's when a new testament writer goes and and takes an old testament event something that was a foreshadowing event in the Old Testament scriptures, and then uses that to help us understand something else in, in, in light of the New Covenant. Paul does this, for example, he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He goes back and he refers to what we've already mentioned, that the, the waters of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, that whole event, that it, it prefigured what we understand now in the New Covenant. It prefigures immersion, it prefigures baptism in all of this and so when simon peter does this he's just drawing on this this similar sort of teaching methodology he's saying those waters 
of judgment and deliverance in the biblical flood story prefigure the waters of baptism. Baptism, he says, which now saves you. So I think the question that comes to mind a lot of times for us is, all right, so how does baptism save you? And I think the, the better question to connect with that would be, how does Jesus save you? Because uh, as we've tried to say repeatedly here, baptism only has meaning as it is connected to Jesus, as it is connected to the story of Jesus. Uh, it, it's worth noting that Simon Peter doesn't get to his point about baptism until he's already gone through all of that rehashing and retelling and recounting of the gospel story, the story of Jesus Christ. That's because baptism only has meaning insofar as it is connected to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Apart from that story, what do you have? Apart from the story of Jesus, the act of baptism really is, is a hollow religious ritual. But does it do anything? Does it have any power? Does it bring life apart from the story of Jesus? I would say no. Apart from that, it's just kind of a hollow ritual. Apart from that, it doesn't have meaning because it's the story of Jesus that gives baptism its meaning in the first place. So again, as we said, in baptism, that's where the story of Jesus becomes my story. I'm not only identifying with that story, I'm actively participating in it. Because it's in that act of baptism that I am dying, and I'm being buried, and I'm being raised back up. All of that has meaning because of its connection to the story of Jesus. So a lot of times people will want to know, okay, what do... What do I need to know in order to be baptized? My children are asking questions. So what do they need to know? Or, or this loved one of mine, you know, what do we need to know in order to be baptized? And I'll tell you, the answer I always come back with is, you need to know the story of Jesus. Uh, I, I really think it's that simple. You need to know that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior. And then connecting that to the story of Jesus, um, you know, that, that's it, right? That's, that's what you need to know. So before our children were baptized, uh, Sonny and I decided that we wanted to make sure that they understood the story of, of Jesus. And so, so we asked them to do a couple of things. We asked them to read through one of the Gospels. I said, you can pick any Gospel you want, okay? Just, I want you to read through it. Uh, I, I told them if it was me, I would read Mark because that's the shortest one, all right? But you can read whichever one you want. And I, I want you to read, and we gave them a little notebook, we said, we want you to read through this, and the way we'll know you've read it is if you have questions. There, there may be some things in there you don't understand. I, you know, hardly anybody I know reads something the first time, and they, oh, okay, got it, fully comprehend it, no questions asked. No, we'll know that you have read it if you have some, like, questions, you know? And so they read through it, and they'd make their notes, and we'd read through that and talk about it together. When they finished that, we said, okay, one more thing. I want you now to go through and you don't get an option on this one. We want you to read through the, the, the book of Acts. And I want you to see what people do when they decide that they want to respond to the story of Jesus. And write down your questions, because it, if you read Acts and you don't have any questions, man, you didn't read it. <laughs> There's some things going on there where you say, okay, how does this fit in? So they did that, and then we, we talked about it. So, so we were very concerned that they understood parts of the story. So what you know is important. I mean, that's first base, right? But what you know before you're baptized, is really, I would say, even secondary to something that we don't 
ask all that often, and that is not so much like, what do you know, but what do you believe? What do you believe about baptism? What do you believe about the story of Jesus? When you hear all of that, it's not just like, okay, I got the head knowledge, now I get to go do this, this cool thing. No, do, do you believe it in your bones? Are you ready to give your life to that story? Are you ready to live your life up under the authority of Jesus? After reading all that story, do you, are you ready to trust him? In the Western world, faith is such an intellectual word. But the biblical word is more like trust. Are you ready to trust Jesus and put your life up under him? If so, that's what baptism is. Are you ready to be baptized? We talked in the first week of this series from uh, Acts chapter 8. And that's the story of this eunuch from Ethiopia. And he's, he's coming along. And what we said then, I would just remind you of this again. As far as we know, that moment when Philip told him that Jesus was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, up until that moment, it, it's possible that that eunuch from Ethiopia had never even heard the name of Jesus. He's studying those scriptures and he doesn't know, like, okay, is this, is this writer? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And, and luckily, Philip is there to come alongside and say, hey, I can help you with this one. And when he tells them about Jesus, remember his response. He says, whoa, 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 wait, wait, now, there's some water right there, you know? Why don't we just pull over right here? You know, like, what, what else do I have to do? He believed. And he was ready to put his life up under the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's in that act of trusting we find the salvation that comes through this act. So, so how does baptism save you? Saves you in that act of trusting in the story of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after, after that, Simon Peter kind of explains this a little more fully in, in the next line when he says it, baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Christ. Baptism saves you by the resurrection. Think about this just for a minute. In the Old Testament, the waters of the flood were an uncreation of sorts. God saw everything that was good. He said it was good. But in the days leading up to the flood, you read about just the wickedness and the evil was, was rampant throughout creation. It was marred by this terrible wickedness. So what God does is he sends the flood waters to provide a washing, a cleansing of sorts. And that leads to new creation. God raised up a new creation on the other side of the flood. And that seems to be the theological point that Simon Peter is getting at in this slightly uh, complicated text. He seems to be saying in this teaching that in, in the same way, baptism is God's means of washing and cleansing, of uncreating this person who is also, like creation was, filled with evil and wickedness, and raising up in its place a new creation, something that can be called good once again because of our partaking of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So again, we're back to our key theme there. When you go through the water, everything changes. Some people who resist being baptized will do so, and they'll say, you know, I don't need to do that because we're saved by what Jesus did, not by what we do. And that statement is 100% correct. We can't save ourselves. 
We're not saved by something that we do. No, that is the work of God. So the only biblical understanding of baptism is to say that baptism is a work of God because you can't decide to save yourself. But you can decide to submit yourself to the saving power of God in Jesus Christ. See, those who will try and put baptism in the works righteousness camp, in my mind, they misunderstand. They don't understand baptism according to the pages of the scriptures. It's not a human work. The one who is at work in baptism is God. The most important person at a baptismal ceremony, it's not the person being baptized. I guess you put she or he, you know, number two on the depth chart, right? It's certainly not the person doing the baptizing. The scriptures don't even talk about the person doing the baptizing. The most important person, the most important being present at a baptism is God. Because he is the one doing the work. In baptism, we are identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We need God to do that. So I love the way that one author, uh, Dave Miller from Apologetics Press, puts it. He says, no one's questioning here that Jesus, that, that Christ's atoning work is the source of our salvation. He says, no, baptism is not the how of salvation. It's simply the when. And when we're immersed into the waters of baptism, we experience this moment Paul talks about over in Colossians. He's, when he says that we've been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through, through faith in the power of God and the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And he goes on to say this in the next, the next few verses. He says, since then, we talked about this a few weeks ago, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. If you've been raised with Jesus, if, if baptism saves through its association with the resurrection of Jesus, so if you've been uncreated, like the flood waters uncreated this world of ours and washed it and cleansed it and made it something new and then been raised up to become a new creation, if all that's happened in you, he says then, this is the application. If you want the so what of living the baptized life, Colossians 3 is where you go. The so what of living the baptized life is this. Set your hearts on things above. Focus on the raised life that Jesus lives right now, before the Father, seated upon his throne. And then just for emphasis, he says it again. Set your minds on things above, not on these earthly things, not on these fleshly temptations, not even on the worldly troubles, the things that, that weigh us down so heavily. Living the baptized life is this life of rich joy. It is hope. It is having the fruit of the Spirit born in me. Set your minds, he says, on things above because you've been raised with Christ in baptism because of what he said in Colossians 2. For you died, and I love this line, for your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Did you know if you've, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that your life is hidden away in Christ? Your life is now absorbed into his life. So much so that he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden in Christ because when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the junk in your, in your past. He doesn't see all the sin that you've committed anymore. Instead, he sees the blood of Jesus that covers you. 
He sees this cleansing flood that has made you a new creation. And that concept is so hard for us to get because our deepest fear is that we don't measure up in the eyes of God. The definition of sin in the Bible is, is to miss the mark. And here's the biblical truth. We all miss the mark. And so we don't measure up in the eyes of God. But the good news of the gospel, the grace, is that the blood of Jesus now covers us so that our lives are hidden away in Christ. And so whenever we, we find ourselves facing temptation, we have to remember that our lives are hidden away in Christ. It's said of Martin Luther that whenever he faced severe temptation in his life, he was known to pound on his desk over and over and remind himself by saying, I am baptized. I am baptized. I just continued to do that until the point went from his head down into his heart. And I think that's, that's where we are sometimes as well. So we need to be reminded that our lives are hidden away in Christ Jesus. Think about every time we make a decision to live for Christ, it's as if we're going back under those baptismal waters once again. We're going back to that place where our lives are tucked away, where that just for that briefest moment, you're not visible anymore because you're under that water, right? And you come back up, you come back up something new, but just for the briefest moment, your life is hidden away in that water because your life is hidden in Christ. One of my favorite stories I've come across in this series, I told you a few, a few weeks ago, uh, it was about a, a, the way that baptisms are practiced in certain places in, in Africa. And there's this baptismal practice. I found a video I want to show you. This is uh, from Durban, South Africa. Uh, and when, when someone decides to be baptized, the church gathers there on the shore uh, of the ocean. And the deacons will take uh, the, the, the person who wants to be baptized, they'll take them out into the water. And you'll see out here, kind of deepest in the water, these, these guys, one guy's wearing white, and the guy in the middle is wearing the yellow. He's the one being baptized. But what the deacons do is they take him out there, and you'll see him. They'll get him up under the armpits, and they slam him into the waves. And they do it, it's not over. They do it three times. They do it once in the name of the Father, and then he's gasping for air. We baptize you in the name of the Son. You see his feet come flying up. And then one more time, once he catches his breath, we now baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. Bam! And he goes up under the water. It was like a face plant on that one, right? And, and he's baptized. And so we whittled this video down. We cut over here to, to over here on the, on the dock on the where this video is being shot. I want you to see these people who are watching. And, and they're kind of pointing and sometimes even laughing like, what, you know, what is what is going on, you know? I, I don't get it. And I show you that because it's a powerful visual. No one watching that baptism says, what is that guy doing? Right? Watching that baptism, that's not your question, what is that guy doing? When you watch that baptism, the question would be, if you didn't know what was going on, your question would be, what are they doing to that guy, Right? Do we need to call the police? Are they trying to drown that poor man? You know, like what, what is being done to that guy? That's your question when you see that. And that's a great way for us to think about baptism. Because you can't hide your life away in Christ. And you can't save yourself. And you sure can't raise yourself back up to become a new creation. It is the work of God. All you can do is submit to what he's trying to do in you and through you in the baptized life. So whether you're in Siberia, or Scotland, or Cuba, or Africa, or right here in our baptistry, or down at the river, or whatever, the question becomes, what do you believe is happening in this moment? Do you believe that you are 
sinful and broken and incapable of fixing yourself? Do you believe that you are dead? Not just that you've done a few bad things, but that you are hopelessly dead in your sins and your transgressions. Do you believe that the only way for you to find life is through the atoning death of a Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago? Do you believe that he willfully took your place, that he assumed the punishment that you rightly deserve? Do you believe that he bled and he died for the sake of love and love alone? Do you believe that after three days, he rose from the dead? Do you believe that somewhere in Israel, there's an empty tomb to this very day? Do you believe that death could not hold him? That the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms could not defeat him? And do you believe that the best life Do you believe that the only life is found in him and in this story? If you believe all of that, and you're ready to put your life up under his authority, and you're ready to be baptized, and this may be the only opportunity you have, I submit this to you today, these words. They are spoken under the authority of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who is making all things new. And my prayer is that he who has ears would hear. If you need to submit your life to the authority of Jesus in baptism, I hope that you'll do that today. Let's stand together and let's sing.